You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 Samuel chapter 3. We are looking at the topic, God Speaks, or the title is God Speaks, okay? And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at in this chapter, is how God does that in Samuel's life. But before we dive into the scriptures, I've got a video for you guys, so let's roll that video. I went to college, um... I did grow up in a Christian home, and my parents uh, were great. They were wonderful. They were faithful. They gave me little reason to think that they were hypocrites. Uh, So I don't have that excuse. But I went to college, and, you know, it was my first time away from home. And long story short, I ended up joining a fraternity house and— it was a lot of fun. Uh, just frankly, it was a lot of fun and doing the whole, you know, Friday nights going going to parties and swallowing live goldfish, that kind of business. Even though I was still finding ways to get to church, my life in many ways wasn't reflective of of any sense of God in my life. Three months in, I was on my winter break. I came home. My dad invited me to come to a, a church retreat. And um, I, and I went. And my dad had to convince me to go. You know, he said, all your friends are going to be there. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go. And I end up going. And it's terrible. I, the, the speaker was really bad, you know. He, I hope he's not watching this, but he was really bad. He, he talked about death for an hour and a half every talk i was bored out of my brains there wasn't anything intellectually or that was feeding me or had a sense of truth in it i was just there and hanging out with my friends but um on the last night uh when we were the whole group was going into a time of prayer and the pastor was going around praying for each person and um i was doing my best to avoid him. So he would come to one corner and I'd slip away to another corner and he would come to that corner and I would slip away to another. I was doing my best to avoid any kind of prayer. Um, So I ended up in the middle of a room and for some reason the pastor left me alone and it was in that room that I swore I heard something like a voice and it wasn't audible, it wasn't something like I can that everyone else might be able to hear and but it definitely was something internal and it was definitely it, it felt like it was something that wasn't from me and I heard the words you have been far from me and I can't explain it it just had a way of cutting right to the heart it had a way of waking me up to a reality that I wasn't seeing every single day and uh that was the beginning of Okay, well, you've got my attention now. Where do we go from here? You know, and I, you know, can't say that my life was perfect after that moment, and it hasn't been perfect for the last how many years since then. Uh, but still, even I was wrestling with some some things, and over a six month period, it was starting to find myself um, learning more about Jesus, learning more about how God's supposed to to work in my life. At some point, it's usually some sort of experience that helps us actually go, okay, I thought it made sense in my head, but now I'm going to actually let my life reflect this new belief. I think it was an an old comedian from a while ago that said that when we talk to God, that's considered prayer, but when God talks to us, that's considered crazy, (laughs) you know? And so I feel a little bit... We're talking about it, but at the same time, it's those kinds of experiences that where heaven intersects earth, where something more supernatural breaks through the natural that gives us a glimpse that God might be around. But I think there is, there is a world out there that we don't see. And I do believe God is constantly trying to get our attention and he just tends to speak more in whispers and mysteries 
doesn't overwhelm us so that we can find him and possibly fall in love. All right. So God speaks today, and that's what we're going to be looking at. That's the subject we'll be exploring today, which is in our text here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I hope to challenge you to hear God's voice and to take the time in your lives to be hearing from the Lord. Let's pick it up, though, in verse 1, where we see that God speaks to Samuel for the very first time in his life. 1 Samuel chapter 3, God speaks to Samuel. It says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And let me pause right here for a second. I know that I've mentioned this before, but reading this sentence right here just brings it to my mind again. I I just want to point out here that Samuel, as a young boy, ministered to the Lord. And I don't want to take that simple sentence for granted. Parents, the Lord has a heart for our children, and when they have a heart for Him too, we should not think that they're too insignificant to minister to and to serve the Lord, okay? I love to involve my kids in ministry opportunities. If somebody I know is in the hospital and I can bring my children with me to go and to visit them and pray for them, I try to do that. If I'm going to work at the food pantry and I have an opportunity to bring my kids, I'll bring them with me to do those things. Um, Same thing when I used to share in people's houses. I'd get invited in as a pastor in Costa Rica to share the gospel with certain people. I'd bring my kids along if I could. Why? Because I wanted them to get a heart for the ministry. Because I knew that they, they knew the Lord and I knew that they could serve the Lord through doing those things. And I can't tell you how many times... God stirs up the hearts of children to minister to the Lord. We should never count them out when it comes to serving Jesus. In fact, it's just the opposite. This verse here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 reminds us that we need to encourage our kids to serve the Lord, to put all of that energy, all of that creative uh, uh, mind to good use for the greater good for ministering to the Lord in the process. So keep that in mind, tuck that away, and let's, let's continue there in verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread, widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, And while Samuel was lying down, let me pause right there and just sum that up. That's New King James Version speak for it was really early in the morning, okay? Number four, verse four, that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the, Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Verse, seven, verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. I want to pause here again for a moment. And I want to point out to you that Samuel shows some discipline here, doesn't he? he? He's a pretty disciplined young boy getting up three times in the very early hours of the morning. And, you know, it's still dark, and he goes running to Eli. This shows us a couple things. It shows his availability, and it shows his heart of of willing obedience here. And this is going to be key to hearing God's voice, as we're going to see a little bit later on in our study today. So file that away in your mind. Samuel was disciplined, he was available, and he was willing to obey, all right? Number, uh, verse number 10, let's continue. It says, Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. 
And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. That's New King James for it's going to be, there's a large wow factor involved, okay? It's going to blow people away. Verse 12, In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. If you're a parent here this morning and you write in your Bibles, underline that phrase, he did not restrain them. That's a very important phrase. The writer wants us to understand that point there. Verse 14, we continue, it says, And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. In other words, what was happening, the blasphemy that uh, Phineas and Hophni were guilty of committing against God's holiness is so severe that at this point, it can no longer be atoned for. It's, it's, they've been turned over. In other words, they've been cut off and turned over to the hand of God for judgment. Now, someone might ask, well, why in the world is Eli the one who's bearing the brunt of this punishment? Isn't it his sons Hophni and Phinehas who are doing all the evil things? Why isn't God punishing them? Well, the key and the answer to that question is that Eli bears the responsibility for failing to punish his sons for their blasphemy against God. Now, we need to realize that this was not just a one-time thing here. This was rather an ongoing problem in the lives, uh, in the lives of Eli's sons. And Eli, as the father, had the role and the responsibility to discipline and to remove from office these two sons that were committing blasphemy. Now, we can never underestimate the importance of discipline that comes from a loving parent, and especially from a loving father. The opposite of love, you see, is not hate, but it is indifference. A parent who shows indifference towards their child and refuses to exercise loving and consistent discipline is failing to love their child well. You see, it is through the exercise of loving and consistent discipline that a child's heart is actually prepared for one day receiving the good news about Jesus Christ. You say, how do you mean? How does disciplining a child prepare their heart for salvation? Well, let me share a few things with you. First of all, it teaches them about, and I've got a list for you guys, it teaches them the difference between right and wrong. And I know that list is coming up now. Thank you. It teaches them the difference between right and wrong, first of all. And, and when you teach your children the difference between right and wrong, you're naturally, number two there, going to learn or going to teach them that it is God who determines what is right and wrong. That, that source for determining right and wrong is not us as parents, but it is God. And as we teach our kids, as we discipline them in a loving, consistent, and biblical way, they learn that it is God who determines right and wrong. Secondly, or thirdly, it also reveals what true love looks like. True love says, hey, you're acting out, you've got an issue, you've got a heart problem. I'm not going to brush over that and just kind of look the other way. I'm, because I love you, I'm going to step into your life and we're going to deal with this. Because if we don't deal with this now, you're going to find out later and you're going to have to pay the consequences for that issue and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. And so it reveals what true love really looks like. I thank God for His love for me. How many times has my loving Heavenly Father stepped into my life in a manner of discipline? He disciplines me out of his love for me. Now, when you're a kid and you're going through discipline, it's not fun. Nobody likes it. Nobody's excited about getting disciplined, you know. It's like, you know, the old talk, you know. You sit down with the kid and you're like, you know, the Bible says, if I spare the rod, I'm going to spoil my child. And your child is like, spoil me, Dad, spoil me, you know. I mean, they just would love to be spoiled in that moment. But we, 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 can, we can't do that. We have to realize that true love says, I'm not going to overlook. I'm going to actually take the time to patiently, lovingly, and consistently apply discipline. Thirdly, or fourthly, it also warns that there are consequences for their sin. 
It is cons- there are consequences for their sin, which points to the fact that one day, ultimately, there will be a day of reckoning for all sin. You see, the human spirit, the human heart is created to know that we will face one day our Creator. We will stand before Him. And so when there's consequences for wrongdoing, it reminds us that ultimately one day there's also going to be a reckoning for all sin. But fifthly, it also helps them to learn to confess sin and to receive forgiveness, which in turn cleanses their conscience. Guys, I cannot tell you how important this is. Worldly philosophy today of how we should discipline our children doesn't really ever address the guilt factor. It just puts kids in a timeout position where they grow even more frustrated and and grounds them and takes away privileges and all these kinds of things, which can be effective sometimes, but it avoids this issue of purifying the conscience, whereas biblical, consistent, loving discipline creates a clear conscience in your children. You'll see it in their hearts. You'll see it in their eyes when you lovingly apply biblical discipline. It helps them to learn to confess that sin and then to receive forgiveness. And then lastly, it also helps them to learn to submit to authority. Okay, and that's a big one. Why is that? Because God is the ultimate authority. And so we are teaching our children that one day they need to submit to God. By submitting to the biblical authority in their lives as kids, it's that much easier than to submit to the godly authority in their lives when, when he calls them, when he comes to them and begins to speak it into their lives. So because of the pattern, though, of insubordination and rebellion that was not disciplined and addressed by Eli when his sons were young, It's now grown into a problem. See this. It's now grown into a problem. It is so bad that it now merits God's personal hand of judgment in their lives. Now, as parents, this should hit home. This should speak to us. As parents, let us ask God today for wisdom and for understanding as well as strength and patience and energy right? Because it takes strength and patience and energy to discipline children the way that God desires us to do it. And we need to implement loving discipline to our young children so that their hearts might be prepared for the Lord Jesus one day. Guys, I can't tell you how important it is, moms and dads, that we would be praying that prayer. God, help us. God, give me wisdom. God, give me energy and strength to do what, or to be the father, to be the mother that you've called me to be in my kids' lives. To neglect them, to look the other way, to be complacent about discipline is only to prepare their hearts to rebel one day against the good news of Jesus Christ as well. Now, B, God speaks to Israel through Samuel. And let's pick that up in verse 21. Or, I'm sorry, verse 15, and we'll read through verse 21. It says there, So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, Here I am. Notice again his his heart of obedience there. Verse 17, And he said, What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. In other words, Eli is saying, listen, may God bring upon your own head whatever judgments he pronounced against me that he told you about me. In verse 18, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. That is simply a New King James Version way of saying that everything Samuel said was reliable, and that's because the Lord was with him, okay? The Lord was with Samuel, and that's why his word was reliable. Key point there. Uh, we just talked about that on Wednesday night. For those of you that were here, if you weren't here, we were in 2 Corinthians, and we were looking at how Paul was, was just making that point, such a beautiful point, that the only reason he was a competent minister was because of the grace of the Lord. And he was just talking about the source of sufficiency not being in us. It's in the Lord. And that's what this is saying. It's not that Samuel was an incredible guy. 
It's just that the Lord was with him, and therefore his word was reliable because he was living out his faith in a real way. Verse 20, picking it back up in 1 Samuel 3. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. I want to stop right there, uh, and and I want to make one simple observation here that I believe is so simple, yet it is so profound at the same time. Did you notice the sequence that is revealed in the chapter? Notice that the first half of the chapter is about how God speaks to Samuel. And then the second half of that chapter, verse 15 on, is about how Samuel speaks to Israel through, I'm sorry, God speaks to Israel through Samuel's words. If we are to be God's messengers in a world that desperately needs God's truth, listen, we first need to be receiving God's word ourselves. Okay, that, that point is in the text. The author of this chapter wants us to know there is a order, there is a sequence here that should not be passed over. God spoke first to Samuel personally. Then Samuel took the Lord's word and spoke to Israel. That is an important sequence that you and I need to grasp onto and catch onto here today. Listen, we cannot live out what we have not worked in, okay? We cannot live out our faith what we have not worked in in our own lives first. And listen, church, this is why I believe Satan does not want you reading your Bibles. This is why I believe that Christians spend so little time in the Word of God. It's because the devil knows if he can get us to just read one verse a day, or maybe even less, and just not have time for the Word of God, then we're not going to be receiving from the Lord, and we're not going to be effective messengers to the world that God has sent us to be living in and to be reaching for Him. And that brings us to the second part of this message today. I really want to spend the rest of our time today exploring this truth. And you're following, if you're following along in your outlines, the question is, does God speak today? You see, the answer to this question is critical for the church today. And so, how? first of all, let me just lay some groundwork here for why, yes, I do believe that God speaks today, and then we're going to talk about how and who and some other things, okay? So first of all, let me lay some groundwork. You, as a person, as a human being, can communicate in at least three ways. One of those ways is spoken language, okay? The second way is written language. You can write a letter. You can write your thoughts and heart, and that's unique. And then you can also speak with your body language. Okay, Body language is a, is a way that we communicate. You can sign with your hands, but also your posture, your facial expression, the way that you are talking to somebody, it communicates a lot of things. So if you, as a human being, were created by God in God's image, well, then that tells us that God must be able to communicate as well because creation cannot be better or you know, more advanced than its creator. And so we as human beings have been created in God's image to communicate, and therefore we know that God can also communicate. Yes, God does speak today. Now, there are some in the church that would tell us, yes, He does, but He only does so through the all-sufficient Scripture. They would deny that God still uses the revelatory gifts to speak, to guide, to direct His people today. But this raises a question then. What exactly does the all-sufficient Bible say that God has given to believers in order that we might be edified, encouraged, and thoroughly equipped for every good work? Well, the Bible tells us that there are many things. And among those many things that the Bible says that God gives us are the blessings of the spiritual gifts, especially the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-11. through 11. In fact, it is the all-sufficient Word of God who clear, that clearly commands us to earnestly desire the best spiritual gifts, telling us specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, 
but especially that you may prophesy. And if there's any doubt about Paul's exact meaning, he closes the same chapter with these words in 1 Corinthians 14, 39 through 40. He says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So, guys, I laid it out before you. We see it very clearly. These are commands that are found in the all-sufficient Scriptures. So if God, who speaks to us today through the all-sufficient Scriptures, is pointing us to these spiritual gifts, these revelatory gifts, then we can say with confidence that God does intend to speak to us that these revelatory gifts that we're to pursue and practice are not temporary. They were not supposed to cease after 50 or 60 years. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us that. Add to that the fact there is not one single text in the Bible that tells us that these revelatory gifts that we are to pursue and practice, that they would one day become obsolete. Okay, so we then have a strong case to be made today that God does indeed still speak to the church today. He still speaks to individuals today. And he does so in various ways. So let's look at some of those main ways right now. How does God speak to us? Well, number one, he speaks to us through Scripture. This is actually the primary and foremost way that we hear God's voice today through the all-sufficient Scriptures. Sometimes this happens when the Spirit speaks directly to your life about some circumstances that are going on. Maybe the Spirit alerts you, alerts your heart and mind to the text where you see a biblical character who's going through a similar situation as you are. And all of a sudden, you put two and two together and you go, wow, the Lord is speaking to me through this word. This is awesome. Other times, the Spirit speaks to us more indirectly when he alerts us to a principle that undergirds the story or the verse that we're reading. And we go, okay, so that principle applies to this decision that I'm having to make or it applies to my marriage or this relationship that I'm living in with this coworker right now. And and, and so it helps us in our decision-making process. That's how the Spirit speaks to us through the Word. Again, I, I tell you, this is why I think most Christians find it so hard to make time in their daily schedule to read God's Word. Because Satan doesn't want you getting in God's word. Because he doesn't want you getting God's messages for your life. It'll change you. It'll change your life. Secondly, God speaks through an audible voice. There are many people in the Bible who heard God's audible voice. Among whom are Abraham, Moses, the nation of Israel, Samuel, Elijah, John the Baptist, the general public that was there with him. As well as Paul, Peter, John, to name a few. So many people in the scriptures that heard the audible voice of God, we should not discount that if those men and women heard God's audible voice, then it is a possibility today as well. In fact, there are several testimonies that people will, you can find of people who have heard God's audible voice in their lives. Now, thirdly, an internal audible voice. An internal audible voice refers to a voice that's audible only to the individual He hears that sound or that voice in their head. It's clearly not their own, and it's not coming uh, from anybody around them either. It's coming from the Lord. Only the one person hears it. There's an example of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. You can look that up on your own later if you want to jot that down. Paul had an, an experience in which he heard the voice, uh, um, heard heavenly language. Uh, also, John, John 15, though, Jesus is our example. John chapter 15 and verse 15, Jesus says this to his, friend, to his disciples. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Notice that Jesus is explaining this new relationship the disciples are going to have with the Father. It's a friendship relationship. And in that friendship, Jesus says, hey, just like the Father has given me a word for you, it's going to be like that. It's, there's, there's going to be this thing. And, and Jesus said, this has happened to me. And, and I've given you the word that the Father's given me. And so there's, there's our example for us. Fourthly, God speaks through angelic messengers. God can also speak to us through angels, just as he did with Joshua, 
who saw the captain of the Lord's army. He, he uh, did so with Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife, with Isaiah the prophet, Daniel, who saw the archangel Gabriel. There was Zacharias, Mary, Philip, Peter, many others. But let's remember the verse in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Hebrews 13 verse 2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So God can speak to us through angels if he chooses. Fifthly, God can speak through dreams. God communicates through dreams. He did so in the lives of Jacob, Daniel, Joseph, and Paul, to name a few in the scriptures. God has communicated with me on a couple of different occasions through dreams. One time he gave me a dream in which I was warned very specifically about something in my life. That should I continue to do that something in my life, that there was going to be heavy consequences ahead. In fact, in my dream, I was actually living in a time when the consequences were being lived out. And it rocked my world. It made me wake up to some things in my own life. Uh, It was through a dream that my own brother was really uh, caused a turning point in his life. Um, in his dream, he was actually dying and felt his uh, soul leaving his body, saw his body and everything like that. And, and, and the Lord spoke to him in that moment and said, actually, I'm not done with you yet. I've got things for you and, and sent his soul back into his body. And this was in his dream, okay? And uh, he can recount the details of that dream and believes the Lord was really speaking to him. And that turned his life around and changed the way he was living at that point in his life. It was really something that caused him to see that God had a greater purpose for him in his life. Uh, We have someone here in our church today whose life was radically changed through a dream that God gave him about hell. And this person shares that testimony regularly, and I hope to have uh, him be able to share that testimony with you guys one day. But one of the most exciting ways that God is communicating through dreams today is in the Middle East. And I want to read a little bit to you from an excerpt that comes from an article that appeared in the Gospel Coalition website earlier this year. It's written by Darren Carlson. He said this, In 2007, Dudley Woodbury and others published a study that recounted interviews with 750 former Muslims who had converted to evangelical Christianity. Many of the reasons they gave for their conversion would be expected. The love of God, a changing view of the Bible, an attraction to Christians who loved others. But one reason might come as a surprise. The experience of a dream they believed to be from God. He goes on to share that in another study, out of 600 Muslim converts who were interviewed, 25% of them had come or had experienced a dream that led them to their conversion to Christ. Now, obviously, some Christians are going to be hesitant to accept this kind of legitimacy. We know that Islam started with a vision. We know that Mormonism also started with a vision or a dream, uh, along with a long list of other cults. So we should obviously uh, have discernment. Darren Carlson goes on to write, he says, Critics wonder how we could evaluate such dreams to know if they were true. Others believe that with the presence of Scripture, signs and wonders like dreams are no longer needed. Consider, Of course, many Christians are open to dreams and visions, considering them to be revelatory. All of us recognize that the Bible details dreams and visions in both Testaments. Now, he goes on to say, while Christians have a variety of approaches to dreams, Muslims, particularly Shia Muslims, are open to dreams being revelatory, both due to cultural and religious factors. Dreams of Jesus, then, are taken seriously. In recent field work, where I interviewed Christian migrants who'd converted from Islam, many reported a dream that led to their conversion, and their experiences of dreams and visions fit into one of the following categories. One, Jesus was speaking scripture to them, even scripture they had never heard before. Or two, Jesus was telling people to do something. Or three, a dream or a vision that led to a feeling of being clean or at peace. Or fourthly, a man in white who physically appeared before them. Carlson goes on to share some great examples in his article. If you get a chance, you can go to gospelcoalition.org and check it out. Um, Type in Muslims Dream Jesus, and you'll find the article. It was written earlier this year. 
But I want to read one story to you from um, one of the examples that he shares. He says, A friend of mine tells of a Persian migrant who arrived at a refuge center at 6 a.m., visibly upset. He told his story to a Persian pastor. During the night, he saw someone dressed in white raise his hand and say, Stand up and follow me. The Persian man said, Who are you? The man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. He began to ask the Persian, cap, or the Persian pastor, Who is he? What am I going to do? Why did he ask me to follow him? How shall I go? Tell me. In response, the pastor held out his Bible and asked, Have you seen this before? No, he replied. Do you know what it is? No. The pastor then opened to the book of Revelation. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The man started crying and said, How can I accept him? How can I follow him? So the pastor led him in prayer and peace came over him. The pastor then gave him a Bible and told him to hide it since the Muslims in the camps could cause him trouble. If you're asleep, wake up. This is the best part. But the man replied, The Jesus that I met today, he's more powerful than the Muslims in the camp. He left and an hour later returned with 10 more Persians and told the pastor they want a Bible too. <laughs> I love that story. He, uh, Carlson does conclude the article by saying that, you know, he's, he was pondering the legitimacy of these dreams and was thinking about the passage in which Jesus' own validity in ministry was questioned with the question, would Satan cast out Satan? And he says this, Would God give dreams filled with Scripture pointing to Jesus that ultimately lead to conversion and purity? Or I doubt it. Or would Satan do that? The Spirit is still on the move, saving his people from among the nations. Of course, Satan tries to attack and muddle what is real, but this should cause us to be discerning, not dismissive. I like that. I agree with that. We need discernment, of course, but we shouldn't doubt that God still speaks through dreams today. Sixthly, God also speaks through visions. The Bible is filled with examples of visions from the Old Testament to the New. In fact, Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, Peter's famous sermon, he said this, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, God, or says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Now, some of you may already know this, but I'm going to share it again anyways. In my life, personally, God has communicated to me very clearly through vision. When I was a nine-year-old boy, I was at a, a life group or a home fellowship, whatever you want to call it, and we were singing some songs about the Lord. And as we were singing those songs, God was just touching my heart, the amazing wonder of what he had done for me and how much he loved me. I started to cry. I got up on three different occasions and went to the bathroom because I didn't want to cry in front of all those people. The third time, my mom was like, what is this kid doing, you know? Like, is he just getting out of this and playing in the bathroom, you know? So she followed me to the bathroom. And in the bathroom, I told her, she said, what's going on? Why do you keep leaving? And I, I told her, I said, I don't know what's wrong. I can't stop crying, mom. And she said, hey, I think the Lord's trying to speak to you right now. And she said, why don't you just get down on your knees and, and ask the Lord to speak to you? And I still remember, I thought, in the bathroom, you know, next to the toilet? You know, it was a small bathroom, so I'm like down on my knees next to the toilet. You know how the toilets are, you know, you get down, you get down near the base of the toilet, it's kind of gross. But there I was in the bathroom on my knees, and I said, Lord, what do you want to say to me? I'm, I'm listening. And in that moment, he gave me a vision so clear in which I saw in my mind the word preacher written in fire, and I felt that it was written across my belly, okay, that that word preacher was written across my belly. And that was how God called me to do what I'm doing today, which is preaching and teaching his word. So I know that God communicates in visions today. He has in my life. And what he gave to me didn't contradict scripture, didn't contradict uh, the, the community of faith that I was in as I shared that with my parents, and they were able to confirm, yes, that sounds like the Lord. And so that, that was a, a legitimate vision that God shared in my life. Number seven, God also shared, uh, speaks through creation. He speaks through creation. Romans chapter one and verse 20 tells us, for since the creation of mankind... 
I'm sorry, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So guys, God speaks through creation as well. He has revealed himself through creation to humankind. Uh, when, I, when I lived in Costa Rica and, and before that in Southern California and I would surf, lots of times I would be on my surfboard out in the waves and I'd be surrounded by just a bunch of guys, especially if it was a good surf day. And there'd be some guys that were believers, but most of them were not believers. But you know one thing that we all had in common? We all knew that that ocean that we were surfing in was amazingly beautiful and it was really powerful, much more powerful than we were. In fact, we all had a healthy respect for the ocean. But in those times of surfing, I would often get into conversations with guys. And I'd say, you know, we'd, I would ask them questions. Hey, do you know the Lord? Do you go to church? This or that. And they would say things like, well, you know what? I stopped going to church a long time ago. I worship out here. This is where I come. This is my sanctuary. This is where I worship God. And I always thought, isn't it interesting how these guys know that it's through nature that we connect with our creator, that, that they have that's built into them to understand that, you know, and I'm not saying that they had it right, and I, I agreed with them and everything. I just thought it was interesting how all of them knew there was a creator, there was somebody bigger than them, and they could meet with him out in the middle of that ocean near those waves. It was something that I would often use to kind of, you know, step stool into conversation about God as creator and how he created the earth out of love for us and created life for, out of his love for us and those sorts of things. And it would lead to other conversation. But he uses creation. He's put it in our hearts to know that there's a creator. And when we're in his, you know, beauty and his creation, man, it speaks to us. Number eight, God also speaks through spiritual impressions and internal promptings. In his book called In Search of Guidance, Dallas Willard called these spiritual impressions gracious incursions into our souls. I like that. Gracious incursions into our souls. What he's talking about is that God can often give us words, phrases, sentences, images, and other impressions that come into our minds by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll admit these impressions or promptings, they can be undeniably subjective. And they can be skewed and taken the wrong way, okay? But we can be sure of one thing. If God wants to communicate something to us, He's not going to be so confusing or mysterious that we can't understand Him. Okay, guys? So God's heart is never to confuse us. That's not what He wants to do. Nor does He want to mislead us. But rather, he desires to guide us clearly and carefully, always for good purposes. Knowing this helps us to grow accustomed to discerning his leading, to discerning these impressions or promptings as they come into our minds. And listen, we should test them. Every impression, every prompting should be run through a filter to test it, to see whether or not it is of God. Whether that's, the, uh, first of all, starting with the word of God, and also through godly men and women that God has placed in our lives, the community of faith in which we belong. And then we need to trust God that is speaking to us and move forward. Stepping out in faith is a big thing. We're going to talk more about how we can test these things in a minute, okay? Um, number nine, God also speaks through providential circumstances. He uses everyday circumstances of life to communicate with us. This happens all the time in the Bible, by the way. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he's probably one of the, the, the guys that this is most common in his life. It's seen in his life. There were several times where God opened the door for him to share the gospel in certain places, but closed the door for him to go to other places. I believe that me being here in Paris, Texas today is because of God's providential circumstances, him opening a door to, and leading me here. And by faith, I stepped out and took that, and I believe that God has me here in his providence. I believe that that's one of the ways that he speaks to us. So B, we come now to who does God speak to? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry through this because I realize I've got quite a bit left. I'm just going to cover these four things and, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. But listen, who does God speak to? First of all, to those who believe. You have to believe that God is going to communicate if God is actually going to speak to you. So Romans chapter 4, verse 18 uh, through 22, it'll be on the screen, says this. 
Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Believing, there's that word, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so, as, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. So God speaks to those that believe in him, that believe he's going to communicate. If you have a hard heart of unbelief, and you don't really think God can communicate with you in these ways, well, he's probably not going to. Secondly, not to say he can't or won't, but he probably won't. Secondly, those who seek him, those who seek him, Jesus said, everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So it's a promise from God that if you seek him, hey, you're going to find him. He's going to communicate with you. Thirdly, God communicates to those who are available. Those who are available. If you're back in Samuel still in your Bible, Samuel chapter 3, look at verses 5 through 9, where we see how Samuel responded to the voice of the Lord. You see, it says a lot about Samuel's self-discipline, that he was able to get up three times in the early hours of the morning in response to what he felt was Eli's call, what he thought was Eli's call. That kind of a heart of willing obedience and availability, that's a qualification for receiving God's word. You know, so often uh, I talk with Christians who say something like, well, you know, God, I, I feel like my prayers are just hitting the ceiling and God's not really communicating with me. And in my conversation, of course, I'll ask questions and, and I'll figure out, I'll say, you know, when was the last time that you felt like God did share something with you? Oh, back when I was going through this or back in this time in my life. And, and I'll ask them, well, what did he say to you? What did he ask you to do? And they'll tell me, you know, well, he wanted me to do this or he showed me I needed to do that. And okay, cool. Have you done that? Uh, well, no. Uh, oh, okay. Well, that's probably a good place to start then, right? <laughs> Go back to the last time the Lord spoke to you. And, and see if you're willingly obeying what he showed you clearly to do. And, and if you're not, well, then there's a problem there. God's not going to continue to give you know, illumination to somebody who's just saying, you know what, God, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really care. I'm just going to move on with my life. Fourthly and lastly, God speaks to those who are humble. To those who are humble. There are multiple scriptures that talk about how God draws near to the humble, to the contrite in spirit. Those are the people that hear from the Lord. Those that are prideful, those that are thinking, I got it all together, I don't need the Lord. You're probably not going to hear from the Lord. Again, not to say he can't speak to you, but you're probably not going to hear his voice when he does. Well, this last part here asks a really good question. We don't have time to go through it today. I don't have time to go through them one by one, but I just want you to see it there. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I printed these out for you because I figured we wouldn't have time, and I hope that that little handout can be helpful for you. But how do we know that it is God and not our own desires, fears, or projections? How do we know? You know how, how do we discern the difference? Well, I've laid out several questions for you that I believe are a great test. They're a great way to filter if what you are sensing is from the Lord or not. So please file those in your Bible filing cabinet and take those with you and maybe look at those a little bit on your own when you have time. As far as this morning goes, though, like I said, we just don't have time to go all the way through them, but there's some really good questions to ask when you're trying to discern whether or not you're hearing from the Lord. As we close this morning, I have one thing left for you. I have a homework assignment for each one of you. So get ready to write this down. But before that homework assignment, I've got a video that I want to show you guys. So let's roll that video. Strategy that Iran has. The sign is there to direct them, you know, to proceed. Okay. Something has to be done because I can't have an event. Yeah. 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 Yeah
I'm just like, get over yourself. direction on what to do about the job today no actually i didn't i don't know what the deal is it's like god is trying to ignore me or something god speaks are we listening or is god ignoring us too sometimes that's what we think isn't it hey god must be ignoring me when in reality, we don't really take the time to listen. Life has a way of getting busy, doesn't it? Life has a way of just becoming this, oh, so full of activity and flurry of busyness, we forget to take the time to listen. So your homework assignment this week, church, is to, number one, take some time to be silent. Find that place, whether it's your back porch or your front porch, or your closet, but go and be silent, and then be patient. Be patient, because it might take longer than just 10 minutes of sitting in silence before the Lord, before He begins to seek, speak to your, your heart. You might have to do it several times before you can actually get yourself to a place where you can do this, because we're so used to always filling our brain with something going on, right? And thirdly, be confident. Have an expectation that God wants to speak to you, that God is going to speak to you. And, and with that confident expectation, that faith, he's going he's gonna to meet you where you're at. And fourthly, write it down. That's so important, church, to write down what you sense the Lord is speaking to you. Because when you have to actually articulate your thoughts, it helps to clarify what God may be communicating to you. And then plus, you always have it to come back to and to test it later on and to see if that's really of the Lord or if it was maybe just your own selfish motive or something else there. So that's your homework assignment though, church, is to take the time to be silent, to be patient, to be confident and to write down what you feel the Lord is speaking to your life. And guess what? If you make that a habit, oh man, life becomes such an adventure. Life is such an amazing adventure to those that are tuned into God's spirit and God's voice. God is speaking. Are we listening? Let's pray.